0: Today's topic is the Log Rock story with my friend Hunter Yaw. How's it going, Hunter? I'm well, thanks, Joe. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for being on my podcast. So please introduce yourself and your company and where you're calling from today.
1: Sure. So my name is Hunter. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Log Rock, and I'm calling from Spain.
0: Oh my goodness, Spain. I thought you were from, I thought you were in New York. I don't know why I thought that. So I'm uh, from from New York originally,
1: but my uh, wife and I are in Spain for a couple months. We have one-and-a-half-year-old twins, and we needed to escape at some point. (laughs) My in-laws had recently built a a house here, so we were able to to decamp for a little bit and, and get a change of scene after, after a year and a half of being locked in the house with the twins.
0: I was choking my friend Rick Watson, uh, who's in New York City. I said, yeah, the COVID's over, except for where you guys are at. And, and as soon as I said I got COVID, that was a few months ago. So <laughs> I will no longer tease New Yorkers about COVID. Not that you should ever tease about that. But Anyway, Hunter, what does Log Rock do? Log Rock only does one thing. Logrock helps trucking
1: companies stay compliant with federal and state regulations. Uh, We do that by building software that makes the process of keeping on track of all of the documents, paperwork, information, audits that you need to manage as a trucking company to stay compliant, primarily with Department of Transportation regulations. We build software to make that process easier, more transparent, and to help you find issues before the FMCSA, the Department of Transportation, state police, or anybody else do, so you can stay on top of your compliance, reduce risks, and critically reduce costs.
0: Very nice, very nice. I know there's some people who are listening saying, oh, I don't care about trucking compliance, I'm a broker, but it impacts all of us who are in this business. And I would also say, if you don't mind, Hunter, I'll probably drag you down the the rat hole of what are all the regulations and what are all the paperwork and and just to educate us, because I think there's a lot of people who do very well in this business who say, I am in a broker. I'm a three PL. I'm in some business. And I, I know I want, I know there's all sorts of compliance that trucking companies have to comply to, but I don't know what they are. I just hope they do.
1: (laughs) Well, Joe, that's, that's a great place to start because let me very quickly disabuse any brokers or shippers out there of the notion that a trucking company's compliance with federal regulations doesn't matter to them. Uh, A couple months ago, uh, C.H. Robinson, who were sued in the wake of an accident that involved a trucking company they had hired to move a load. And of course, we all know C.H. Robinson is an asset light broker. So why is C.H. Robinson being sued for something that involved a truck? They don't own any trucks. They don't employ drivers. The reason is dead simple. The trial lawyers that have been attacking trucking companies for years now have realized that if they can go after a broker or a shipper, the revenue of those businesses is so much greater. And at the end of the day, a settlement that a jury or an award is is given is usually based on the size of the company that's involved in the settlement. C.A. Robinson is so many thousands of times bigger than a typical trucking company, it makes a lot more sense for lawyers to go after them. C.A. Robinson thought that they were gonna be able to get their case dismissed because they felt that it was absurd that they would be held accountable for issues with the compliance paperwork of a trucking company that they happen to have hired to move a single load. And they took first the case to an appeals court after their first attempt to get it dismissed failed. And then they took it to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court upheld the decision of the appeals court. The Supreme Court, a very pro-business Supreme Court, effectively said, we think that the the previous decision uh, by the Ninth Circuit was, was right. What does that mean? What that means is that brokers and shippers have no recourse, no federal norm that says this is what you need to do if you want to avoid being dragged into a post-accident lawsuit. That regulation, those rules are unclear. It's now being decided on a state-by-state, circuit-by-circuit basis. But what is clear is that you as a broker or a shipper can be held accountable for a trucking company who you assign or tender a load to's failure to properly maintain their driver records, properly maintain their equipment records, maintenance records, company filings, things that absolutely to your point, Joe, brokers and shippers have probably never heard of and wish that they didn't have to think about. But let me be very clear, the days of ignoring that are over because the consequences if you fail are enormous. So that's a a great place for us to start.
0: Yep, I was just talking to my friend, Ryan Schreiber from Metaphora, and he's an attorney in addition to being a technologist and a freight guru, very smart guy, very good guy. And he wrote an article about this and said, this is, a lot of us were talking about AB5, the law that, you know, was forcing or kind of impacting contractors in California. And he said, this is significantly more impactful to our industry. And that sends a chill. But the, you look at these companies, you know, C.H. Robinson is a, a behemoth, but somebody just says, I just see deep pockets. I just see more pockets to uh, sue. Anyway, let's come back to all that, guys. Stick around. We're going to learn about compliance, and I know uh, that sounds dry, but um, Hunter understands this like the back of his hand. He will. Uh, we're going to uh, keep you awake. This. I promise. <laughs> you
1: will. You will not fall asleep. We we know that the natural reaction when you hear compliance is to have your eyes slowly shut. But I promise, we're going to keep you awake.
0: It's nothing. Nothing more interesting than I, I'm an automotive guy. And Fedregs is where you go. Okay, I'm being dragged to a regs. Oh. What did I do wrong in my career to be subjected to it's this? It's not
1: sexy. Sometimes I wonder if we're being punished for for ending up in this space, but it's, yep. uh, it it's is everywhere though. It's everywhere. It's everywhere.
0: If, you, mm-hmm. if you go into medicine, if you go into automotive, anywhere where there's, you're having a big impact, you're going to have to worry about federal compliance. And, Some of it, you know, the ELD was a federal compliance to make sure we did the hours of service. And I look and typically you won't hear me say, good for the government. Thank you so much for the help. But the ELD mandate has been a a significant boom for technology in our business. I think it, the visibility we have and some of the things we have because of the government sticking their big nose in actually works.
1: I agree, and it's. I think that the LD mandate was probably the biggest change in the industry since deregulation. Oh, I think we hated it though, didn't folks, we? We, we did hated and it was it. <laughs> it was painful, and it was it was difficult. Well, I was working for a broker at the time. so I, I have to admit it wasn't. You know, it was it was kind of all the same. Although the 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 constraint and capacity of course had an impact on the market but i think the eld mandate is probably the biggest change uh, shift change in the industry since deregulation yes the good news though i think for trucking companies is that the amount of data that suddenly came online which previously was either offline so therefore very hard to see and analyze or impossible to see and analyze now suddenly that data is there and a lot of and we're not al- logrock is not alone in this there are many other companies now that i think are emerging that are able to sort of stand on the shoulders of the ELD platforms by saying, hey, you've already gone through the the, the work of bringing all of your active drivers' equipment, all that data online, training your drivers to use their ELD. You've kind of already done the hard part. Now let us help you take advantage of that data, which you probably don't spend much time thinking about, but you should be, because there's the potential insights into your business and the way to reduce risk, reduce reduce costs are enormous. And it's not just log Rock that's that's doing that. There's all sorts of folks, whether it's on the fuel factoring, driver safety, insurance. There's a whole bunch of interesting areas where where we're sort of standing on the shoulders of that of that ELD mandate. The other thing I'll mention, Joe, that I thought was interesting, you mentioned you know if you're in the medicine or in manufacturing, you also end up facing compliance issues. It's a fascinating point, especially with medicine, because what a lot of people don't know is that the reason that trucking companies have been facing more and more lawsuits or one of the big reasons is that there was uh, what's called tort reform, basically the process of changing how you sue a business or how you sue a person in the medical industry. So the folks who lobby on behalf of uh, doctors and medical insurance companies, after years and years of doctors being sued, insurance companies being sued, over the past five or 10 years, were able to make substantial changes in how hard it is to sue a doctor or sue an insurance company. So when you look back and see, wait, where did all these lawyers that are suddenly going after trucking companies and now going after brokers and shippers, where did they come from? It's fascinating to learn that actually the American Transportation Research Institute has, has done a study on this, and they showed a lot of these lawyers were previously suing doctors and suing medical insurance companies, right. the so-called ambulance chasers. Now they're truck chasers because the change in the law made it harder to sue doctors, so they requalified, they retrained. They have conferences in Vegas where you, if you previously sued doctors, they say, it's okay. In a week, we're going to teach you everything you know to sue a trucking company. And they train people on this. There are courses, there's books. And a lot of it came from the fact that one industry was able to remove some of that pressure, but unfortunately that pressure got redirected now. And the folks who used to sue doctors are now suing trucking companies.
0: Yep. I just did a podcast with Chuck Wallace. I mean, he's the one of the founders of e and he's just founded a brand new company called HDVI. And we had a lot of talk about this. And one of the other things you're seeing with those lawsuits and it's not legal in every state, but sometimes what where they used to settle and say, hey, look, I'm going to offer this family $300,000 for their loss, and hopefully that's enough. Now you're having venture venture money. I don't know if it's venture capital, but there's investment money. I know yeah. there's family office money that's getting behind these people and saying, don't settle for $300,000. we are going to get you $3 million. And yeah, lawyers get more and more sophisticated. Amen to that. You know, one of my good friends is an attorney, and he said he won't take another slip and fall in Michigan. He says it's gotten so bad on his side. You know, representing people with slip and fall, and let's face it, there's abuse on all that stuff. So at some point, the laws change. And I, he said, he goes, he goes, I don't really care i just want to win. And he said, but I won't take cases like in the slip and fall anymore in Michigan because he goes, no one wins. But I also know people who got a million dollars to fall down and I'm, I'm uh, I'll am i do that. I'll, I'll take a good fall for a million bucks.
1: Let me, let me, well, yeah, it's hard to disagree with you on that one. Let me, let me give you two quick data points on that one. Cause I think it's interesting. The first one is that the average cost to settle a case now is $450,000. Now, smaller trucking company owners will think, oh, it's okay, my insurance has got it. And they probably do. If you've set up your policies right, there's a decent chance the insurance company is going to cover it. But if you don't think that the insurance company is going to get every penny or another insurance company is going to get every penny of that back from you in increased premiums over the next few years, you are kidding yourself. That's thing one. And the other interesting point here is that, again, the American Transportation Research Institute did a good study on this. Your, your, your friend, the lawyer won't take any more slip and falls because he can't win. Here's a number for you. 100%. 100% of cases where the folks suing the trucking company were able to identify any issues with hours of service that involved the trucking company were decided against the trucking company. The jury said, yep, they're guilty. They're negligent. They're not taking this seriously. Not 99%, not 98%, 100% of the cases where they could prove, and this wasn't the driver who was involved in the accident. This was any driver, anyone with HOS violations. If you get hit 100% of the time, you're going to lose that case. It's insane.
0: We I did a podcast with Nuclear Verdicts a, a few years ago, and one of the things they said is they quickly, the lawyers quickly come to your documentation for training, Hours of service, all that stuff. And and if it does, they say, look, this is in disarray. And we'll get to your, your topic here in a minute. But when they say this is in disarray, they clearly don't care about the law. And again, you might have been 100% right, but it doesn't matter. You're seven states away from where you're at, your big bad company, and this is a guy who lives in this community and who's potentially had a big loss. Anyway, we'll come back to all that in a minute, but stay tuned, everybody, because again, this is critically important, as I think our conversation just shows. So uh, tell us a little bit about you, Hunter. Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? Give us some career highlights before you started Log Rock.
1: Sure. So I'm originally from New York. Uh, I went to middle school and high school in England and then ended up uh, staying in England uh, for college. I majored How did in- that happen? <laughs> <laughs> so when I was uh, 12 or, or 13, it depends on who you ask. My parents will probably tell you that they were trying to get rid of me. I, I remember being pretty excited. But uh, decided to, to see what it would be like to go to a boarding school in England and had a great time. Honestly, I loved it.
0: That's very old school. You used to send kids off to boarding school. <laughs> it's, well, it's,
1: it's, it's old school both literally and figuratively. The school I went to is 680 years old. So it's, it's very, very old school in all senses. But honestly, I, I had a great time. I, I really enjoyed it.
0: But tell me, what was the culture shock when you got there? I'm sure you had some understanding of England, but what, what, what was what was the surprise when you got there?
1: As with any boarding school, if you're not getting beaten up for being a foreigner, then you're just not trying hard enough. So that was <laughs> definitely uh, that was definitely part of the experience. But the you know you you get used to it. What's the old saying? The English and the Americans are, are two people divided by a common language, <laughs> yes. and I think that's uh, definitely true. But uh, at the end of the day, we were. You know, I was very fortunate to have a great experience. I really enjoyed it. Learned a lot. It's a different culture there's a lot more independence you're given a lot more space and kind of expected to figure things out for yourself it's maybe a little a little tougher than uh, than some uh, school experiences but I, I really enjoyed it and then it the easiest thing or the thing that made most sense was for me to, to stay for college so i ended up doing that and then i majored in, in german and russian
0: where'd you go to school i went to oxford oh that's that's a nice school
1: <laughs> it's it, it's a nice school yeah I, well uh, th- that to be very transparent part of the reason i stayed in, in england is that the dirty secret I'll tell you is that it's a lot easier to get into a really good school in England than it is to the kind of Harvards and Yales of, of the world. And uh, in England, you choose the subject that you study from the very beginning. So you don't do a minor first and then a major. Americans
0: are still kind of blown away when you say, oh, I went to Cambridge or Oxford. You're like, oh, that's a top school. I,
1: well, exactly. Far, that's my as point. As far so, as I know. The I return on investment <laughs> is amazing because it's actually several times easier to get in But the sort of credibility that you get as a result is roughly equal. So I'm telling you, if anyone's looking for a a (laughs) backdoor, there's the answer.
0: Right, right. So um, give us some career highlights before you started Rock.
1: Sure. So right out of college, I studied German and Russian uh, and decided to live and work in Russia for a while. So I started out originally uh, working for kind of unexpectedly some uh, twin brothers who were oligarchs, and they were reconstructing historical, actually czarist era buildings in Saint Petersburg, and then reconstructing a, a Stalinist-era building in Sochi on the Black Sea. So I got involved in, in those construction projects originally as a translator. Then I got into project management, and that led me to uh, over time to get involved with the Olympics in Sochi, uh, the Winter Olympics, nice. uh, which is back in 2014. Yeah, so I was brought in to run the fuel logistics for the the Winter Olympics. That was my first exposure to logistics, my first exposure to uh, uh,
0: operations. That was a miracle that you guys could have uh, an Olympics where they don't get snow.
1: <laughs> it was, yeah. There was, there was, there was a lot of uh, uh, magic of various sorts involved in, in making that happen. But you know, it was it was an interesting time. It was a great experience. I was I was twenty five or twenty six and responsible for ten million dollars of the Russian government's money. So it was uh, stressful to say the least. But ultimately, I learned a lot, uh, as you usually do when you get uh, dropped in the deep end of something. I think. On average, I worked out. I slept for maybe three hours a day for about six months. <laughs> but we got there in the end. And you know, it's 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 sad to remember that now because there was a brief moment in in Russian history when it really felt like we were part of connecting Russia to the broader world, and that there was an aspect of what we were doing that was going to to lead Things to changed. Yeah, they? a new Russia, a different Russia. And it wasn't long after the the Olympics themselves ended that uh, Russia annexed Crimea, and of course. The situation changed dramatically. So, really unfortunate to remember how close it felt like we were to a different path and and ultimately, of course, where things have gone now.
0: I know uh, this whole thing with Russia and the Ukraine has been horrible, but I like to think, I'm an optimist, I like to think this is two steps back to go three steps forward. I mean, I wouldn't say one step back is the loss of life and the damage. Uh, there's going to be a generation, but I do think we'll lose Putin. And I think the Russian people want to be part of the world. And, um, not the old world. <laughs> this, is, yep. this is this is this uh, is the Cold War still still biting us. So, more career highlights before you started log rock.
1: So, coming out of the Olympics when it finished, I needed to find my next opportunity, and I reached out to uh, a friend of mine from school who had a, a startup in a tech startup in, in Moscow, and I was looking for advice on you know what some interesting opportunities could be. And he said, come work for me. And I said, well, I have no experience in technology, no relevant knowledge, and I really have no idea what I could possibly contribute to your business. And he said, it's okay. We have a name for people like that. And I said, what's that? And he said, product managers. And I said, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so that was my first experience in tech, uh, working for a travel startup in Moscow. And I, I oversaw their partnership with Airbnb and a couple of other things. But Russia's a little bit like a casino. You want to get out while you're ahead. And, and at the time, in the wake of the annexation of, of Crimea, you know, the currency collapsed. I had the pretty surreal experience of seeing my salary depreciate by 300% in the space of about a month and a half. For anyone who's, who's ever been through that, it's uh, definitely gives you a different perspective on things. <laughs> so I uh, ended up uh, moving back to the US. ended up teaching myself to, to code, uh, to write computer code, and uh, built a very small business uh, called Eatalyze, where I was effectively helping restaurants get insight from guests on Uh, What they liked and what they didn't. This was around the time when Yelp was really taking off and restaurant owners hate Yelp, not because they mind the feedback, but because the feedback isn't actionable. It'll be, oh, I had terrible service. I had a terrible experience, but they don't know what day, who your server was. So it's really hard for them to do something about it. So we built a way for restaurants to get feedback directly from the guests while they were still in the restaurant and to tie it to a table and a time which was, you know, an insight that owners were were looking for.
0: So you're officially a techie at that point. I was officially
1: a tech nerd at that point. Yeah, once once you start writing code, let me be clear, it was terrible code. Any engineer who works with me now, I'm sure would be embarrassed to see it. But, you know, a good way to kind of get your yourself in the deep end. And it, you know it was just me. So I was writing code in the morning and then selling to restaurants in the afternoon. Fun fact, if you're ever trying to sell something to a restaurant, don't go during the lunch hour. They do not want to talk to you. You got you to catch that lull between lunch and dinner. So was able to get some customers up and running on that, which was, was an awesome experience. But my wife and I were looking to, to move back to New York. And uh, one thing we learned is that folks in Florida will give you plenty of time to give you feedback, you know what they thought. My, my my parents live in Florida, so that was kind of where we got started. We tried that out in New York, and every New York restaurant guest was like, "I don't have time for this. I don't care."
0: <laughs> so, <laughs>
1: so, we we ended up uh, I ended up uh, selling that, for, you know, as an insignificant exit to, to one of our customers who wanted to keep using the software. Moved to New York, uh, joined a three D printing startup there called uh, Shapeways, and then from there, through some mutual friends and some introductions, I ended up at, at Loadsmart.
0: Uh, the digital freight I know nice. you've had some They've guests. They've been on my podcast many times. Yeah. They have,
1: yeah. So I, I started at LoadSmart. My, my co-founder now at Logrock, Bosco and I both started at LoadSmart around the same time. He was the chief technology officer. I, I started as a product manager, but I was the only product manager and ended up kind of building out the product team. And from there, you know, it was a great experience. When we started, it was maybe 10 or 15 people in the company. It was still very small.
0: It was based in New York and it was, I, I've interviewed Felipe capella on my podcast and oh, who's great. the other and who's felipe the other Felipe and
1: ricardo yeah ricardo i've ricardo.
0: not i've not never interviewed i would love to but they started it in new york and then they've moved it over to chicago actually i spoke to felipe just about the time he had moved to chicago he's on my podcast but guys if you're not already familiar please check those out uh the interviews i've done with Loadsmart because i look at certain companies like load smart convoy uber I think Transfix falls in this, where these these companies have started and I'll maybe Emerge, you could throw in it's a little slightly different business model, but these companies have, are starting really from a tech-centric perspective and having big impacts. So, so anyway, uh, what'd you do after LoadSmart?
1: I took over for about a year as the chief product officer of a company called Rocked, which is a big marketing tech uh, startup originally from Australia, now based in New York. And you know it was a great experience taking over a large and established product team, different space. But out of nowhere, a little over a year ago now, my previous sort of partner in crime at LoadSmart, Bosco, who led the engineering team while I was leading the product team there. So we worked really closely together for a long time, starting from the early days of LoadSmart and kind of through to the bigger scale that LoadSmart's achieved now, was a great experience. And he reached out to me absolutely out of the blue and said, Hunter, I just left LoadSmart and I think we should start a company together. And, you know, we all have that friend that'll call you at 10 o'clock on a Friday night and say, let's go get a beer. Bosco is not that guy. <laughs> He's like the least impulsive person I think I've ever met. So I said, all right, Bosco, if you, if you want to start a company, you must have a plan or something in mind. He said, honestly, no. He said, you know, I think we we worked really well together and, and there's a huge amount of opportunity still in the supply chain space that's kind of unrealized. So I think we should take a look and see if we can find something interesting. And if, if we can, then let's build it together. And that was the, the beginning of, of what ultimately now is, is log rock
0: So you had to look, you had to dig around. You decided you'd dig around in, this, in the fertile ground of uh, transportation logistics. And how long did it take before you found yourself saying compliance, trucking compliance is a big problem?
1: I would say it was a good three or four months of some pretty intense digging. And in that period, we must have researched and discarded Five, six, seven ideas, maybe it feels like even more than that. At least five or six where we, we, we had a bunch of calls, did a bunch of research, read reports and, and took them real seriously, but ultimately ended up dismissing all of those and, and focusing on compliance.
0: So what was the problem you saw in compliance that made you say, this, this is a problem that is worthy of our time to fix?
1: <laughs> it's, you know, the answer to that is dead simple. Compliance is a data problem. Compliance is a data problem. And the reason that that was important for us is that ultimately Bosco and I are, we're, we're, we're tech guys. We're nerds by background. And so we knew that if we were going to find a way to add value to trucking companies, it shouldn't be through a business that was going to be dependent on a big operational aspect. It shouldn't be a business that was going to be dependent on, you know, hiring lots of folks in a big office in Chicago. It should be something where we could add value by building great technology. The challenge and, and, you know, you'll see this more and more in the space is that a lot of folks have applied technology to areas of transportation where either the solution isn't right or the market isn't ready, and it ends up being a kind of classic uh, solution in search of a problem situation. And we were very aware of two things. First of all, how important it was to make sure that we were solving a real problem with technology that actually solved the problem and not kind of throwing technology at something and hoping for the best. But also, second of all, that it needed to be a problem that had a, a serious impact on the bottom line of our customers' businesses. Because at the end of the day, if you're not helping your customers save money, you're probably not going to be able to build a sustainable business. And compliance had both of those things. Because it's a data problem, and because computers are are uniquely well positioned to attack data problems, we were able to to kind of uh, bring those, those two pieces together. And compliance is incredibly significant for the bottom line of a trucking company's business. If you miss on compliance, You are going to lose money. You're going to lose money on hard costs. You're going to spend more on your liability insurance. You're going to spend more on out of service violations, trucks and drivers that get pulled off the road. And you're going to end up actually having worse driver retention, which isn't super intuitive, but it's, it's very true. Those are the hard costs that you're going to face no matter what if you're not great on compliance. And then you've got some of the more maybe abstract or as Ryan Schreiber likes to call them soft costs, which is what Joe, you and I talked about at the beginning, the risk of a lawsuit or the risk of a big fine from the DOT. Or of getting into a conditional status, in which case brokers like Loadsmart or C.H. Robinson are going to stop working with you because they don't want to bear that risk. Now, some owners will say, "Well, maybe, but that's probably it's never happened to me before, and maybe it's never going to happen to me." Our answer to that is: let's let's assume for a second that's true. If you miss on compliance, you are going to pay more for insurance, no matter what. You're going to have worse driver retention no matter what and you're going to be losing money on out of service violations and inspections that are are, are going to cost you every single day so that that's going to happen no matter what and the others you can believe it's going to happen you might not believe it's going to happen no one ever wakes up and saying today's the day i'm going to get sued but of course every day that happens unfortunately every day a trucking company owner is getting hit with a lawsuit so whether it's the hard costs or the more abstract ones compliance is
0: critical to the bottom
1: line of your trucking business.
0: Right. And I'll throw one other thing in there. And and I know you know about this one, but if let's say I'm a trucking company, I say I'm I'm very conscientious about these things. So I am making sure that I I have all my compliance up to date. If I'm not using a system, if I'm trying to use some, if I'm saying, well, I'm saving them into this file, I'm uh, asking somebody, first off, it's not going to be as efficient as a, purpose-built tool like you guys have, but it's also it's gotta be enormously time consuming. And then when Bob, who managed all that quits, you go, Yeah, Bob had it all on his laptop and I think it's all on his desktop. Go, go look at go look for it. I think we're all up to speed. And I also just think ways as you were talking about this, I always think there's transportation management systems. I know there's trucking maintenance systems. Everybody's kind of taken a shot at the compliance. But what my sense is always the same is silos, silos of information that don't talk to each other. That's not the complete picture. So somebody says, hey, if you need the driver qualification files, they're over here, I think, (laughs) right? If you need the insurance stuff, I think it's over here. All these different silos. And that's not helpful when you say to your guy who's in charge of compliance, are we okay, right? Are we compliant? Are we making it work? And he says, let me look across my 16 systems. (laughs) That that is not a useful answer. That's a scary answer.
1: (laughs) It is. And it's 100% accurate. What you just described is the reality for the vast majority of trucking companies, including trucking companies that take safety and compliance seriously. There's also a theory that some owners have that you know, well, the ones that are going to get in trouble, the ones that are truly negligent, that really don't care about safety compliance, those companies exist. And at the end of the day, of course, they'll have issues sooner or later. But unfortunately, they're not the only ones that run into problems for exactly the reason you just described. If you are a compliance or a safety manager at a trucking company, and you have 30 trucks, there are 1090 documents that the FMCSA requires that you be able to present at any given time, they can have expired, They have to be valid. They have to be up to date. 1,090. That's if you have 30 trucks. If you have 100 trucks, that number goes up to 5,600 documents that the FMCSA can request from you at any time. And that, by the way, is assuming a static driver pool. But you don't have a static driver pool. You have churn. And if you're a trucking company, you probably have relatively high churn. Even the best trucking companies have double-digit churn. So those numbers are going to keep growing as you're adding new drivers and still have to keep records, by the way, for the drivers that have left. So when you put all that together, the the burden, the administrative burden, the regulatory burden is enormous. And we're not talking about 5,000 truck fleets here. We're talking about 30, 50, 100 truck fleets that have to manage thousands of documents in order to stay compliant. So when you put yourself in the shoes of even the best safety or DOT manager, What they're going to end up doing is exactly what you just described. Joe. They're going to have a bunch of tabs open. They're going to have to be logged into their ELD. They're going to have to be logged into their uh, main FMCSA account. They're going to have to be logged into the FMCSA portal. They may be logged into their data queues on the FMCSA. They also need to be tracking all the files that they have stored on their computer, all the files that they have stored in the cloud, all the spreadsheets that they have to use to keep track of all of those files and documents. And on top of all that, you also need to be keeping track of any data point that could impact your compliance from the outside. So for example, your fuel card data, your toll data, all of that is data that can be used against you to prove, for example, that you were falsifying your logbooks. That's just the beginning. That's just to sort of almost be able to keep your nose above the water. And then to be able to say with confidence, I've analyzed all of that. I've done it every single day. And I'm confident that there are no gaps in my armor. As an individual person, or even as a team, It's almost an unreasonable thing to expect of a person. It is something, however, that technology can help a lot with because when we're talking about documents, expiration dates, these are the kinds of things that computers are very well positioned to track. When we're talking about things like auditing your logbooks against your fuel records, for example, and saying, hey, when did this driver uh, fill up? When When was he fueling the truck? And what was his ELD status at the time that he did that? That is a mind-numbing task for a person to do because you've got to get every single time, every single one of your drivers fueled. And then for every one of those events, you've now got to go over to your ELD, pull up that driver's file, then look for that date and then that time and see what their duty status was. That's, if that doesn't sound boring to you, then I, I, I guess you found a perfect career opportunity. But I think most folks listening will agree that it's mind-numbing. The other challenge is that because it's so boring, it's error-prone. People lose focus. It's hard to keep doing that all day but many, comparing two numbers
0: data points
1: it's too many data points but too many data points is not something that computers struggle with <laughs> right comparing two numbers is something that software is great at and so that's where we focus on on adding value we're not going to coach your drivers we're not going to create a safety culture if one doesn't exist there's plenty of critical work that safety and compliance managers have to do that LogRock will not do for you that we can't solve with technology but there's a big piece of it that we can solve with technology as you said to give the owner critically to give the owner confidence that they have a full picture of the risk profile of the trucking company, and that they've done everything they can to reduce that risk because by reducing that risk, they are going to save money. And that's at the end of the day critical, especially in this market.
0: Yep. And I would also say this when um, if you have any sort of audit, as that audit begins, they're 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 gonna any auditor kind of drills down to see how much you've done. And I think if they get the sense that if you're gonna audit this and boy, they've got pieces of paper that they're running around looking for and opening, you know, the guy who quits computer up, it doesn't instill the sense that this is, this is working. So anyway, I know we're not going to talk about thousands of documents, but I do want to talk about some of these documents. So first off, I want to get some basics. You mentioned FMCSA and you mentioned DOT. What are those and what, what do they, don't, don't take us too deep. Just give us the high, high level. What are those companies, what are those organizations do?
1: Sure. So, the Department of Transportation is the federal agency required with, or that or, uh, has the mandate of basically overseeing all aspects of the government regulates of transportation in the U.S. So, whether that's highways, airplanes, everything.
0: Not the ports, though. The ports have their not the ports. Maritime. The ports have
1: their own their own federal
0: maritime right. commission. Does that, that's right? right.
1: That's right. But you have so Mayor
0: Pete's in charge of the DOT. <laughs>
1: Mayor Pete's in charge of the DOT, and then within the DOT, as you can imagine, given the breadth of that mandate, you've got agencies that take much more specific vertical roles. And the FMCSA is the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration, which is responsible for overseeing primarily trucking companies, but also to some extent passenger vehicles. But Log Rock only serves trucking companies. So we focus on understanding what are the rules and regulations that the FMCSA sets to dictate what trucking companies have to be on top of from a compliance perspective and how can we help you do that? There are some aspects that stay with the DOT, like drug and alcohol testing, because that goes out across a big swathe of of transportation professionals, but we don't want to get too nitty gritty. High level, DOT does transportation within the DOT, the FMCSA, the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration is responsible, among other things, for the safety of trucking.
0: Right. And they give companies scores?
1: They do. So you've got all sorts of of scores. You've got your CSA scores. You've got your basics. You've got a record of every time your trucking company has been inspected. Those scores are then broken down into subscores on things like maintenance, driver fitness, uh, hours of service. All of the aspects effectively of your business are ultimately going to have a score attached to them. Some of those scores are publicly available. Some of those scores are are only privately available to the trucking company owner. A decision was made by Congress a while ago that anything where you can see an individual driver's performance or data shouldn't be public because that's it's not really fair to the driver. So some things are public, some are private, but everything has a score attached. And then those scores get normalized against national standards. So they say, hey, this is where you are relative to other trucking companies on your maintenance, for example, or on your driver fitness. And then that ultimately is going to impact how the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration working with the state police, is going to prioritize you for inspections at weigh stations uh, or at scale houses. And then ultimately, how those inspections or the results of those inspections are going to get you prioritized for an audit. And what you mentioned there, Joe, is a great example, which is that the, uh, the FMCSA can send an investigator, an auditor, In the past, it was to your business. Now they've moved online. You might think it's better that it's online. It's actually probably worse for trucking companies because they used to only be able to do one audit at once. Now the number of audits has gone way up because during COVID it went online and they've realized, wait, I can do eight audits simultaneously because while I'm waiting for a document from one company, I can go talk to another. So the number of audits has actually gone up a lot. And that's another piece of the puzzle is being ready for that audit. And to your point, when that audit does come, what we've learned by talking to former FMCSA investigators is that a lot of the decisions they make they make very early in their conversation with the trucking Right, company of course. Because they look and see. Is it, when I ask for these records, are they presented to me quickly in a clear format and they're complete? Or when I ask for these records, is it, oh gosh, as you said, I got to go get Bob's old laptop because I think some of those files were stored there. As soon as they hear that answer, they don't need to know what's coming next. They already know what's coming next because they see enough trucking companies where if you're on top of safety compliance, we say for for LogRack customers, when we present the data that you have in the context of an audit, it's perfectly formatted. It's well-presented. There's no gaps. There's no issues. An investigator, even before they open it, just based on how quickly you produced it and how comprehensive and well-formatted it is, they've already made a decision that I don't need to go too deep with this company. These folks have got their safety and compliance covered. They're going to move on to the next one. They're not going to spend as much time on you, not even having seen the details, just based on how quickly and comprehensively and well-presented your data right. is. Right.
0: Well, that's that's the cool thing. And I'm not just saying long, maybe there's other people doing it, but when, some, when a CSA auditor sh- should see... You're just, oh, you're using LogRock and everything is accessible quickly. After a while, they say, oh, well, we use LogRock. And I'm sure it's like, oh, okay, good. All right. These guys are going to be, it's going to be a quick and easy audit. Right? And because that's, that's, have, which is good for, and that's good what we for want. everybody.
1: That's, we want, we want fewer audits, first of all, but that's, that's also an interesting point. Whether you get audited or not is not inevitable. You can control your fate. You can own your destiny on whether you get audited. And one of the ways to avoid getting audited is to be inspected less. And one of the ways to be inspected less is to have fewer of the kinds of behaviors that get you on the DOT's radar. And one of the most important things that LogRock does, we're going to be there for you if you get audited. We're going to be there for you if you get pulled into a lawsuit. And our software is going to substantially reduce your risk in either of those cases. But what we prefer to do is help you be proactive rather than reactive. right? And our technology, because we absorb, now we integrate, Joe, to your point, on all those different systems, our solution is to integrate with all of them. So we integrate with your ELD, we connect to your FMCSA account, we pull data from your fuel card provider, we bring all of that into one place. And once we have it in one place, what we're then able to do is analyze all of that data constantly. And by analyzing all that data, we can then compare it to what the DOT is looking for. Now, this is where I'll admit that a lot of what we do is super boring. What we did was we took all of the, the rules and regulations that the FMCSA investigators use in the context of an audit and all the rules the DOT uses to, pr- to prioritize trucking companies for roadside inspection. Right. We turned all of those rules and regulations into computer code, which now means what we can do when we absorb all of your files and all your data is we can compare those digitally to what the rules and regulations say. And we can tell you, how does the DOT see you? How does the FMCSA see you?
0: What risk profile do you in, present? In effect, you're getting a daily... So it's basically, you're getting a continuous audit from log rock. And then when the real audit happens, it's like you're practicing. And then, so here's the gaps. You got these 30 gaps, go fill them in before you get a real audit and fail it.
1: (laughs) That's exactly right. And the way that we, but it's also critical. We understand that if you don't make things easy for trucking companies, they're not going to use them because running a trucking company is incredibly hard. So the way that I just described all those those connections, part of the way that we do that is when you send us your documents. We read them automatically. We've developed an algorithm that's able to categorize, and it says, "Hey, this is a medical card. This is a commercial driver's license." And from those documents, it's then able to, you know, extract, "Hey, this is a driver name. This is an expiration date." So we're able to do all of that automatically, which means that when you're getting set up with Logrock.
0: you put that into a, a field. Then, as exactly, opposed to-
1: we so we're we're all you have to do is throw your documents at us. And we will then read and categorize everything and populate your account so that all of your DQ files, your equipment records, your company filings, those all get automatically populated based on the the, the data that you just throw at us. So you don't have to copy and paste. We do it for you. And the idea then is that by having all of that data in one place, we're able to do that analysis and constantly surface those risks. So the other, you made a really good point there, Joe, as well, which is, let's say it's 30 things that we that we uncover on a given day or in a given week where there are gaps in your compliance armor. The most used feature, and if compliance wasn't boring enough, now let's talk about tasks. (laughs) The most used feature on our platform is is a solution called tasks, which is where we take all of those 30 things. And instead of just giving you a big report or something where we say, hey, here's all your problems. Good luck. We break them down one by one into individual tasks. And we say, hey, this CDL is about to expire. Hey, this DQ file is, is missing a, a you know an up-to-date medical card. Hey, and we do that for your equipment records. We do that for the company records, every aspect of your business. We're also auditing in the back end. We're auditing your hours of service and seeing if there's any hours of service violations, including by using secondary data. So not just what the ELD sees, but also comparing it to your fuel records and some other aspects. Bringing all that together, it, it, it can sound overwhelming, but the way that we make it simple is by taskifying by bringing every single thing that we uncover and making it a single individual task. So you're not trying to do a thousand things at once. As a safety manager, what our customers say they love is that in the morning they make themselves a cup of coffee, they log into LogRock and they go to their tasks page. And even if it's a big number, it's okay because they're going to work their th- way through one by one, which makes it easier. The other thing that we do, I think that's critical to remember here is in the context of a lawsuit, what the folks that are going to sue you are going to try to prove is that you were negligent. That you didn't take safety and compliance seriously. Now, one of the things you touched on, Joe, which is super important is if Bob used to do compliance and now Bob is gone, you can say, well, Bob was great, but I'm not sure where Bob's files are. The great thing about a solution like LogRock is that no matter who your safety manager is, they can come, they can go. Your data is consistent, which is critical. But the other piece of the puzzle is that when the, when you're being deposed as an owner, you're standing, you're sitting in front of a camera or God forbid you're in a courtroom if it goes to that, and you're being accused of not taking safety and compliance seriously, you're going to say, well, we worked on it all the time. They're going to say, prove it. And it's almost impossible to prove. But with LogRock, Not only do we let you know about the issues with the tasks, we record all the tasks that you have completed so that if, God forbid, you have to prove to someone that you weren't negligent, you've got the data. You can say, you know what? Not fair of you to call me negligent because I've got a record every single day or every single week. We were doing something. We were actively working to make sure we were compliant with federal regulations. Were we perfect? No, nobody is. But you can't say I was negligent. You can't say I wasn't trying. And I've got records to prove it.
0: It's continuous improvement, and I think that's what we all want to see in every process that we have. You know, what? one one other thing, you mentioned pulling data out of documents and putting it into fields. This is becoming a consistent theme on my podcast, is when there's a PDF or a Word document and it's, it's attached to an email or, or stored in a file, that is static i can't get i can't gain insights from it i can't do anything with it it's static it's only good when i open it up but when i take that information and put it into a system where there's fields now that data can be part of predictive analytics it can start to be part of insights that are useful and that's the one that they says hey here's the task this pdf document that you had back in the that that, that had an expiration date on something you don't know it unless you open that up that day. But if I have it in a, in a, a field, the field wakes you up and says, hey, time, uh, time to work on this one. It's coming close it. to expiration. It's the difference between static and dynamic. And we want all our information to get out of static and into dynamic. Dynamic is where we get data insights. It's where we're going to get useful information. It's how we're going to manage our world.
1: You nailed it. You nailed it. And when you talk to a safety manager or compliance manager at a trucking company, the thing that they'll tell you creates the most stress in their job is that they're worried that even if they're doing their very best, they're still missing something. That there is somewhere a PDF of a scan of a document, a medical card, a trailer inspection, it doesn't matter, that's expired. And that one day, that's going to be the thing in the context of an audit, a lawsuit, that's going to be the thing that causes their undoing. And we talk a lot. We work very closely with lawyers who defend trucking companies. And what they have told us time and time again is it's that one piece of paper that you can't find that you forgot about. That's going to be your undoing because the folks that are going to come after you are ruthless. They're going to seek everything. And as soon as they find that something's missing, they are going to exploit that and present it to a jury as you not taking these things seriously. And most of the time they're going to win. So it's critical to be on top of all that. And there are systems out there. So for example, if you're using a a driver hiring platform or a TMS A lot of those, for example, will do basic driver qualification file management, right? So they'll let you know, hey, this driver's commercial driver's license is about to expire. This medical card is about to expire. So there are solutions out there that can help you with that. The challenge is that they're not going to do that for your equipment. And they're not going to do that for the company records that you also have to keep up to date with the FMCSA, your MCS-90, your MCS-1, and all these forms that you have to constantly be filing with the federal government. This is a,
0: this is a gap in our technology stack, so to It speak. is a
1: gap in our technology stack, and, and LogRock fills it, and we do nothing else. And the reason is that we're 100% focused on making sure there are no gaps in your compliance armor because it, all it takes is one or two gaps And those can be exploited ruthlessly in the context of an audit or a lawsuit. And that can be the end of your business.
0: Yeah. And by the way, I'm on your website. It's logrock.com. And there's a page here what we do. And it talks about some of the documents in here. Safety data analytics, company safety policies, equipment files, ELD integrations, drug and alcohol testing, accidents claims, permits, insurance administration, driver qualification files. And I'm sure that's just the high level.
1: That's the tip. That's the tip of the iceberg. Yeah.
0: And, and all of that is again in other systems, or maybe it's in other systems. Maybe it's just saved to a file somewhere where it's even more dangerous. And what you guys create is basically a technology hub that pulls from all this. That's exactly right. So this is your one stop shop. So when you say, Hey, we're getting audited, this is where you go.
1: That's it. And by bringing all that data into one place, to your point, it can then be analyzed. And that's what allows us to do things like we have a feature called risk radar, where, and it's particularly important for the owner as well as the safety manager. In a single page, you can then go in and see, okay, where are my compliance risks? What documents am I missing? Or even not individual documents. Maybe as the owner, you don't want to get into that far, the nitty gritty. What percentage of my documents are missing? What percentage of my drivers are creating high risk behavior? What percentage of uh, 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 my uh, safety and compliance team's performance is being done quickly or on time, the advantage of our tasks interface is that it also allows the owner to get a sense of how quickly the team is cycling through issues. If an issue popped up on Monday, how long did it take for that task to be completed? LogRock can track that as well, and it helps uh, safety managers make sure that they're being as productive as possible, helps owners get insight into that. All of that uh, visibility, all of that data, but presented in a very easy to understand way is only possible if you first build the hub, if you bring all of the data into one place. And that's what we do. And a lot of it is you know it's it's not things that are sexy, it's not things that are exciting, it's your drug and alcohol, it's your it's your you know tractor and trailer inspections keep you in business, <laughs> but it's what's going to keep you in business and, and it's all we do, so we're very focused on having that comprehensive solution and being connected to every system we possibly can.
0: I would not be surprised to see uh, with that based on that ruling that you described at the beginning of our interview to see more of the large brokers saying, "I want." To know more about my uh, carriers. And I want to know that they've got a system. Some, if not log rock, something very similar to, to prove that, you know, if I'm doing a lot of business with a trucking company, you know, and, and this isn't to say these trucking companies are negligent. They aren't. It's just the nature of this many documents. You can look negligent, even if you aren't. And that's, this is maybe that's the, the problem we have right now with this kind of regulation is that. Even when you're doing a good job, you can made, be made to look like you're doing a bad job. So I want to switch gears for a second. So you guys started this company, what what year?
1: We started in December of 2021.
0: So you guys started as, uh, and I know you have a number of employees. I looked on LinkedIn, you have quite a few people working. Where are your, where are your employees at?
1: We are everywhere. So LogRock from the very beginning was a remote business. So we have employees in several states in the U.S., we have a lot of folks in South America, and we even have one person in Mexico. So we're, we're all over the place, mostly in the Western Hemisphere, but, but pretty pretty spread out and a, a remote first team.
0: So when did you launch your product?
1: We launched the first version of the product, I would say, in really the earliest version was in February or March of, of last year. Or sorry, this year of 2022. feels like last year. They, Ricardo at LoadSmart used to say that working in a startup is like dog years. Uh, uh, it's, mm-hmm. it, for every one year you work there, it feels like seven so we launched the product in February. We also raised our seed round back in, in January of this year, but we chose not to talk about that for a while. And the reason is that we understand that for very good reasons, a lot of trucking company owners and managers are skeptical when they see, oh, here's this other you know crazy tech idea that's raised a bunch of money. And I don't see how it's actually going to add any value to my business. Where's their product? Where's the solution? Do they even know what they're talking about? So we made a point of, of pretty much staying quiet about what we were doing until we were able to get our first customers onboarded using the product have confidence that we were adding value so that we were hearing from safety managers and owners I'm glad I have Logrock and it wasn't until we got to that point that we announced that we'd raised money that we started to actively promote the business because we wanted to be confident that we weren't lumped in with the folks that are like hey it's okay that you know silicon valley is here and we're going to solve all your problems that's it's naive and it's and it's frankly a little bit patronizing to the trucking industry right. to think hey you know, you guys never thought of any of this, but it's okay, we're here now, and we've got it. Trucking company owners are are remarkable entrepreneurs. They're smart folks who have built businesses in a very hard environment. So we should be respectful of that. And, and for that reason, we didn't want to even be kind of knocking on their door until we had a product that we were confident was already adding value to trucking companies. And that was also a, a, a really important point for us.
0: So what what is the size trucking companies that you guys are targeting?
1: That's a great question. We've seen that we're able to add the most value in call it the 15 to 150 truck range. And of course, there's different buckets within that where the product is used in different ways and we add value in different ways. But as a rule of thumb, by the time you've gotten past 10 or 15 trucks, the burden of the administrative piece of this is starting to grow and you really need to be handling that better. And as you get up through 50, 100, 150, uh, we're able to add a lot of value. Beyond that, we do have a couple customers that are larger than that, but it can be tricky because usually the larger size, those folks have already got a system in place. And it can take a little bit more time to, to replace that. So for now, we, we focused on customers we're able to get up and running really quickly. We can add value to in a short space of time. And that tends to be that 15 to 150 truck range.
0: So 15 trucks, they might not have their a dedicated safety manager at that point. So it could be the owner or an administrator. How are those guys, um, do they need a lot of training to get started or is it pretty intuitive? How's this work?
1: We've worked really, really hard to make using LogRock really, really easy. So it is extremely intuitive. And we find that especially those, those smaller fleets that maybe don't have as much experience with safety and compliance appreciate that because we make what is a very complicated space with a lot of codes and numbers and regulations. We've spent a lot of time and a lot of energy making sure that you have to spend very little time and energy to understand what's going on, what you need to do, because we know compliance is like doing the dishes, right? It's, if you If you don't do it, you got a problem, but nobody likes doing it. And we understand that. So our goal is to make it as quick and as easy and as painless as possible for you to get it done so you can then get on to the the aspects of your business that are critical. If you are a full-time safety manager, building that safety culture, coaching drivers, and if you're not, getting on with every other one of the million things you need to do.
0: So is there like a dashboard that tells me, like, so let's just say I'm the owner and I just want to walk I want to look over the shoulder of my safety guy and or gal, and I'm looking over their shoulder and uh is it is there a dashboard that says A score like you're 80% there or C plus, B minus, how do I, is there anything that gives me a sense for where I'm at every single day?
1: There's a lot that gives you a sense of where you're at every single day. We avoid giving you a very simple or oversimplified score for one reason, which is that the lawyers that we work with who've defended Uh. companies
0: have said you have
1: to be very careful to make sure that you're not, you know, creating more problems than you're than you're solving. So we make a point. Yeah, if you of give them a C sure.
0: minus, then they lose, right? <laughs>
1: well, it's so that's part of it, and the other part of it is that it can be oversimplifying it. So our goal is to strike that right balance where we say, hey, it's not so much information that is the owner you're overwhelmed, but it's also not being oversimplified to a point where someone could then use it against you to misrepresent the reality of your business.
0: Right. Well, that's yeah. This is a complicated business, and what you just described is the is the. Nuance that is in here, and uh it it as soon as you start talking about compliance and lawyers and lawsuits, everything is going to be potentially it's like a s it's like a sweater with that little little thread that's uh can be pulled on right so you you your, your job is to avoid threads that can be yanked <laughs> that's it
1: that's it it's, it's whether it's doing the dishes or the or that annoying thread on your clothes. We know that compliance isn't sexy. We know it isn't what you want to be thinking about. But in both cases, they're problems you need to solve and we're going to help you solve.
0: It. All right, Hunter. So I want to wrap this bad boy up. So I want to understand what's next for, you answer in any order, what's next for you, what's next for your company, LogRock, and then what's next for this, this industry when it comes to compliance and safety?
1: So what's next for me and what's next for LogRock are the same thing. Where my, my co-founder and I are very dedicated to, to building this business. There's folks out there that want a quick flip or a quick buck or, or, or whatever that may be. We've been doing this for too long to think that that's uh, the right way to build a business. So we're committed to this for the long run. And LogRock is committed to, to really just do two things. One is to find uh, ways to add more value to our existing customers through new features, the new solutions, through new integrations. And we're doing that every day. And the other thing we're committed to doing is to making sure that we're adding value to more trucking companies by growing the the, the base of, of folks that we serve. And that's really all that we do. Those two things add more, values, uh, add more value to the customers that we have and find ways to, to get connected with other trucking companies that need our, our services and support. And we're going to keep doing those two things until the cows come home.
0: Very nice. Very nice. So Let me ask this: You guys are you guys attend these conferences? I know we've got a FreightWaves conference coming up here shortly. I mean, what do you get to? What kind of conferences do you guys attend?
1: You know, we I'm going to be honest with you, and this may be a controversial opinion. We don't go to too many conferences. We don't have any company swag. We don't have t-shirts or backpacks or anything like that. Our view is that you know you should be talking first and foremost to your customers, adding value to them. That we honestly don't meet that many customers at conferences that we find the best way to get introduced to customers is through a referral, through an introduction, through someone who knows them and who knows us and thinks that we can add value. We've been able to grow pretty quickly just through that. And, you know, setting up a booth at a conference and having a screen and spending thousands of dollars on that. We're just not sure that that's the right way to grow the business. We've, we've tried it here and there. And and frankly, we find that uh, adding value to our existing customers and then asking them for introductions to others and asking folks in our network to help us meet more trucking company owners. We've been able to grow the business really quickly doing just that. And we'd rather spend our resources adding value to our customers than putting thousands of dollars in the, in the pockets of conference organizers and Las Vegas hotels.
0: Yeah, no, I, I will say I'm going to Manifest. I talk about that a lot. That's in January in Vegas. Um, I'm looking forward to that. I don't go to a lot of conferences myself. I, and I, it's funny, even before COVID, but just I, I remember flying down to Mexico or flying down to Texas, and it's like a half a day travel. And then you do something that, that afternoon and then the next day maybe. And then at some point you fly home and it's another half day. And and I did that a lot. I man, I, I joke about it, but I felt like I spent my spent the uh my thirties <laughs> on a plane and it gets old. And you know, sometimes you think, God, with the technology we have now Zoom calls or Teams calls, whatever, you know, what we're doing here with Squadcast. You're like, Ugh, do I need to travel like that? <laughs> I, I agree. And, you know, I'm speaking
1: at Manifest. We, I'm, we're always humbled when folks invite us to speak and, right. and we're happy to do that because uh, that's it's different. We're not setting up a booth or a tent or whatever. Someone said, hey, we'd like you to come. Talk about what you do and share. I will be
0: interviewing people at Manifest. Great. Well, maybe maybe we'll end up
1: (laughs) replicating this there. And you know, we also attend some events, local state trucking association events. We find those to be. Uh, super valuable, but usually it's not necessarily even the big ones. It's, so, for example, we have a couple team members in Minnesota. We're proud members of the Minnesota Trucking Association, and the Minnesota Trucking Association within it has a separate uh, organization dedicated to safety around trucking. And they had a, a you know a a, a a pork chop dinner uh, last week that our team attended. This next weekend, they're doing some clay pigeon shooting. They have more fun up in Minnesota. That's what I'm learning from from these. So we're proud to go to those events because there we're talking directly to the trucking community. And we're meeting folks uh, who often who we already know because we have, we're have we fortunate to have a lot of customers in Minnesota and they then introduce us to others and, and we're proud to be a part of those, those communities. But those are the real events. Usually they're smaller, usually they're state specific. Usually they're organized by an organization that's dedicated to trucking companies and not just the broader industry. So
0: maybe that's a controversial view, but, but that's how we see that. Excellent, excellent. Well, what I'll do Hunter is I'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile and a link to your website and a link to any other marketing assets you give me, I'll put in the show notes so people can reach out. And talk to you guys and i really appreciate you coming on and talk about your new new product and your new biz i really think you're on the right track I, I i know it's a a boring topic but as we discussed early on it's a boring topic that will bite you and take your business away if you're not careful and that applies not just to carriers now now we're seeing it could impact brokers and 3 pls so not going away.
1: (laughs) Amen amen to that, Joe. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. Come visit us at logrock.com. We'd love to uh, help find ways to add value, whether you're a trucking company. And we also have a lot of brokers and insurance companies that have been reaching out to us recently, trying to find the right way to build those partnerships to make sure they add value to trucking companies. But as you mentioned, everyone's got skin in this game. So anyone who wants to learn more, come to logrock.com. Shoot me an email, hunter at logrock.com. I'm always happy to hear from you.
0: Excellent. Excellent. And thank you so much, Hunter. And thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support's very much appreciated. Until next time, onward and Upward. You've been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage in conversation with experts in the logistics field. For more details, visit thelogisticsoflogistics.com or follow Joe Lynch on LinkedIn.